for allowing me to be in his pulpit. That's something as a pastor I never took lightly. And secondly, just a warning to you guys that I have not preached since July, and I am a preacher, so you are in trouble this morning uh, with me. So I am excited about this opportunity. And just as we get started, I, I always like just to start with a word of prayer, so if that's all right, let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll dig into the word. Father, we thank you for this opportunity today to come into your house, and Lord, just thank you for the prayers that have already been lifted up today for this service, for, for you to speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you give us clarity in our mind, and God, I pray that we'd understand your grace and your mercy today, Lord. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Case and I have three children, and you know, as I think about us having three children, one of the things that used to really frustrate me and get on my nerves when my kids were younger is hearing how dependent they were on me. And the way that they showed their dependence on me is that they would cry out all the time. They'd say things like, Dad, the lid's too tight. Can you get the lid off? Dad, I can't reach it. It's way up there. Will you come get it? Dad, the remote's not working. Dad, will you come out here and watch us jump on the trampoline? It was like they were dependent upon Case and I to do every little bitty thing. And it got on my nerves. And I'd be like, you know how it is. You're just like, oh my gosh, can't they get it this time? And you go out there and you meet them where they are and you help help them out and you get in the process and you get to be their hero for a few moments. And so one of the things that I really disliked being parent of young children is that they were so dependent upon me. But recently, now that my children are older and they're starting to get married, you want to know the thing I miss the most? That they're no longer dependent upon me. They no longer call out to me. It actually makes me sad that sometimes I know that they're struggling with decisions and they really don't want to talk to mom and dad about it because they're so wise because where they are in life. And so one of the things that I actually miss now is that they don't cry out to dad. I miss that. And Case misses that. And I often wonder, is that how our Heavenly Father feels? Think about this for a moment. Is that the way that Jesus feels about us at times? When did you and I get so independent that we thought we could live life without our Heavenly Father? When did we get so dependent that we could live life without Jesus? I wonder if our Heavenly Father at times looks at us and says, why will they not cry out to me? I am the God of the universe. I can help them. I can aid them. I can come alongside them. Why do they not cry out to me? When we're trying to convince ourselves we have life under control, we really need to be crying out to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 29, we're going to find two individuals. And these two individuals had no problem crying out to Jesus. Check them out. Matthew chapter 20, and we'll start with verse 29. Now, as they went out to Jericho, now this is Jesus in a multitude, okay? They're leaving, they're headed to Jericho. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold... Two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that you, our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now, reading this passage should cause us to wrestle a little bit inside of, when did we become so independent? 
At what point did we start thinking that we no longer needed Jesus to move and do something in our lives? Because some of us will approach this passage of Scripture and we begin to get this arrogance of like, yeah, these guys needed to call on Jesus. They were blind. They were needy. They needed Jesus to do a miracle. That is obvious. And if we're careful, we think that we're past that point of needing Jesus to do something in our lives, to reach in and touch and do something in our own lives even this morning. If you think that you can live life on your own, remember what Jesus said in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And remember what Paul said to the church of Philippi? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So whoever we are this morning, whatever our situation, we are in no less need of crying out to Jesus than these two blind men that were on the road there as Jesus was passing by. So why aren't we crying out? What hinders us? What stops us from crying out to Jesus? This morning, I think, as we look at this passage of Scripture, you're going to find three things, three reasons why we neglect to cry out to Jesus. So let's look at those this morning. What are the three things? Why do we neglect to cry out to Jesus? Number one, we fail to understand the nearness. We fail to understand the nearness of Jesus. Look back at the passage, verse 20, verse 29. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him, and behold. Now, when you read that word behold, I can't emphasize this enough. When you read the word behold in the word of God, be prepared to see something awesome happen. When you read the word behold and somebody's preaching and they say behold, this is where you get on the edge of your seat and you're like, oh, I want to know what's about to happen. This is going to be good. It's like us pre-stating something. This is going to be awesome. Now listen, watch this, check this out. And that's what Matthew's trying to say. He's saying, and behold, something amazing is about to happen. you got to check this out. Make sure you don't miss this. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Two blind men sitting by the road. Now, you have to understand, in Jesus' time, blindness was pretty common. They didn't have the antibacterial soap. They didn't have all the anti-whatever-you-want-to-say medicines that could clean the eyes today. So blindness was pretty common. It was pretty easy to get a parasite or whatever in your eyes clean from the waters. And so they would have a lot of blindness. Now, if you were blind in that day... They didn't have the reading systems and some of the advances in technology that we have. So most blind people became beggars. And what these beggars would do is they would get into really popular places where they knew there was going to be a lot of people passing by, and they would beg for money. And most likely, these two are outside of the gate. And another gospel lets us know that one of their names is Bartimaeus. But it lets us know that they are outside of the gate. And why they would go outside the gate is... People didn't have MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, pay on your phone things back in those days. And so when they traveled from one location to the next location, they usually had money on them. They were carrying cash. And so these beggars knew that, so they would stand out there. They knew the wealthy people were the ones that would be traveling. So they would stand outside that gate and beg for, for, for money as people were coming by. So here they are. They're begging for money. One of their names is Bartimaeus. Now, these beggars heard Jesus passing by. 
And they start saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Now, the word cry out here that's used in this passage, it's actually the Greek word, which is krazo, which actually means any sort of screaming or anguished shout. So it's not like these guys are outside the wall of the city like, uh, mercy on us, David, Lord, help us. No, they are shouting this. They realize that this is their hope. So they're, have, they're screaming, have mercy on us. They're trying to get Jesus' attention. Remember, Jesus has a multitude with him. So they're screaming out. They look like crazy people there. They are shouting and screaming, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. They're screaming with all their might. They want to make, G- make sure Jesus doesn't pass them by. The crowd's following with them, so the crowd is getting louder. The roar of the crowd, they're having to scream louder and louder. Have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. Now, think about this for a moment. Do you think these guys were crying out the day before when they didn't know Jesus was coming? Now, what what causes them to scream out at this time? It's because they knew Jesus was passing by. So as Jesus is coming closer and closer, they're probably screaming louder and louder. And let's just pretend for a moment that Jesus walked on past them at some point, whether it be 50 yards, 500 yards, five days, five months, five years, or whatever, they would have probably stopped screaming, right? So why are they screaming at the time that they're screaming and crying out to Jesus? Because they know Jesus is near. They know that he is close. Perhaps the reason why you and I neglect to cry out is because we forget or neglect to see that Jesus is very near. If you're a believer, he lives inside of you. He's the kingdom of this time. His kingdom is at hand. He is here. He is present. Jesus is not in a galaxy far, far away like Star Wars. He's not on a throne far, far away, not knowing what's happening in your life. Jesus is very near. If you have a pretty good idea that Jesus is near, you're going to call out to him. At my house, if my wife isn't home, I don't go around hollering for her. That would feel pretty silly, wouldn't it? If I knew she was at work and she was teaching, and for me to walk around the house and be like, hey, Case, hey, Case, I know you're not here, but I'm just going to holler out for you. you. I would feel pretty silly, right? Maybe the reason why some of us neglect to call out Jesus is because we don't understand his nearness and we think that we would feel silly if we called out to somebody that wasn't near. But Jesus is very, very near. Do you understand that Jesus is near, that he is close, that you can call out to him? He's not a day away. He's not miles away. He's going to be near you, close to you. He's not going to pass you by and keep on walking by. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Let not your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For the person who's trusted in Jesus, Christ lives inside of you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you, which means you can what? Constantly be crying out to him. Throughout your day, as you're walking through the day and you see a need for Jesus to meet in your life, all you have to do is cry out to him. If you're at home all by yourself and you're all alone and you know that you're facing difficulties and there's tough situations, he's there to cry out to. He's present. 
Hebrews 13, 5, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What if you're here this morning and maybe you're at a place where you're struggling? What is, and, and you'd say, man, I, I'm just really struggling. Is Jesus near? Yes, he's near. Psalm 145 tells us this. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Now, we know the truth is Jesus. So those who call on him in the name of Jesus, the Lord is near to who? All. Do you understand that the Lord wants us to call out to him? He invites us to cry out to him. He meets us where you are this morning. Jeremiah 33 tells us, call to me and I will tell you and answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Get this, not only do we call out to him, cry out to him, but he reveals his secrets to us. Things we don't know. That's why it's important to be crying out to him. Jesus is near. Maybe the reason you're not crying out to Jesus is because you've neglected to see how near he is in your life, in your circumstance, in your situation this morning. The Lord is near. Maybe that's one of the reasons why you're not calling him. Maybe the second reason is this. We listen to the voices. Maybe the reason you're not calling out to Jesus is because you're listening to the voices. Look at Matthew 20, verse 31 again. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Notice what the voices are telling them. Be quiet. Quit screaming. Quit shouting. Quit crying out. And the idea of warn in that passage of Scripture is almost like, if you don't stop crying, I'm going to do something about it. If you don't, I'm going to bloody your lips if you don't be quiet. We're tired of hearing you scream. We don't know why the crowd wanted them to be, be quiet. Maybe these men were obnoxious. Maybe their, loud, their cry was so loud that uh, they couldn't even think. It was bothering their thought processes. It was hurting their ears, but they were being distracted. Whatever the case is, the multitude wanted them to be quiet. It's kind of like in school. You know when the teacher walks in the room and says, shh. Be quiet, and all the other kids in the room feel like it's their job to help the teacher get the, the kids quiet, and so the room just gets louder and louder and louder. This seems like what's happening here, right? Because as the multitude is walking in with Jesus, and they're coming down this dirt road path, they're coming down here. You have these two blind men that are hollering out, have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Have mercy on us, Lord, Son of David. You have these people like, shh. But what does the passage tell us that the two men did? They cried out all the more. They're just getting louder and louder. They're crying out more and more, even though all the voices are saying, shh, be quiet. For a moment, these men had to make a decision. Are we going to listen to the crowd that says, be quiet, or are we going to continue to cry out because we understand that Jesus is our hope? You understand, there are voices all around us. And I've learned to categorize the voices in my life. And when you begin to think about this, it'll help you listen to the right voices in your life. There's these voices, there's the wrong voices in our life. There's the voice of good intentions in our life. And then there's the right voice. And let's just talk about that, the wrong voice. How do you recognize the wrong voice? The wrong voice is always going to lead you away from Jesus. The wrong voice is always going to cause a distance between you and Jesus. You know what I've learned about the wrong voice? The wrong voice usually have a motive. It's either their motive or a better motive for me. 
The wrong voice in my life is usually a selfish voice. The wrong voice usually allows me to hear what I want to hear and take pleasure in it. The wrong voice makes me think about the moment and not eternity. The wrong voice usually does not lead me to God's word, but away from it. And here's the thing about wrong voices. Wrong voices always have lies in them. Understand this morning, you may have been listening to the wrong voices in your life. The wrong voices are filled with lies. Wrong voices like Jesus doesn't care about you. You ever hear the wrong voice? Jesus doesn't care about you. There's no sense to cry out to him. How about the wrong voice that says Jesus cares about everybody but you? You ever hear that voice? Somebody's here this morning probably feels that way. Jesus cares about everybody in this room. Everybody else can cry out to Jesus, but the wrong voice is whispering to you right now, not you. The wrong, revo- the wrong voice reminds you of your past and tells you that you have no right to cry out to Jesus. The wrong voice questions if there's really a God. The wrong voice asks you what other people are going to think. The wrong voice says, take care of yourself. There's a lot of the wrong voices all around you. Don't listen to them. Begin to recognize them by studying the word of God and knowing when the wrong voice is the wrong voice. There's a second voice we hear, and it's the voice of good intentions. Man, there's a lot of voice of good intentions. Most of us would have thought there's only two voices, but there's really the second voice here. Most of us think it's the right voice or the wrong voice, but there's a voice of good intention that's all around us. These voices are the voices that speak out. They're not necessarily good. They're not really bad. They don't really take us away from Jesus, but they really don't bring us closer to Jesus. They are the ideas, thoughts, and philosophies of people. They don't draw you closer to Jesus. They don't draw you away. If you stop and think about it, bookstores are filled with voices of good intentions. Television, voices of good intentions. Your friends, voices of good intentions. Your children, voices of good intentions. Your best friends, voices of good intentions. But here's the, wrong, here's the thing that's hard about the voice of good intentions. The voice of good intentions is a confusing voice. The voice of good intentions oftentimes is confusing because you hear the voice, but it's not really the voice of God. It's not what Jesus is calling you to. The problem with the voice of God is it can really distract you from hearing the voice of God. You go out, you have a situation or a circumstance in your life, you're going out and you're trying to find help, so you begin to talk with people about it, and they begin to tell you the voice of good intentions. This is what you ought to do. This is what you should do. And in the midst of hearing the voice of good intentions, you fail to recognize what God's word says about the very thing that you're going through. In every single thing that you face in your life, did you know that God's word speaks about it? There's not a thing in your life that God's word doesn't speak about. So we're listening for the right voice. And what is the right voice? The right voice is the one that always brings you back to Jesus and the word. The right voice is his word. The right voice is the counsel that makes you closer to Jesus. That's going to quote the scriptures. The right voice, if it's not leading you closer to Jesus and it's not telling you what the word of God says, then you need to get it out of your life and begin to seek the right voices in your life. And here's the thing about right voices. Right voices 
requires intentionality. Right voices don't come easy. It requires intentionality. Have you ever been to a restaurant that's really loud and you're trying to have a really good conversation with somebody? Like every once in a while, Case and I go out to eat and we'll start talking about something pretty serious. And and I want to hear what she has to say. But the music is loud. The crowd around us is loud. The waitress is loud. Everything's loud. And every once in a while, I just have to get really honed in and look right directly at her. Watch her lips moving. See what she's saying. Hear what she's saying to me. And it requires intentionality. I had to focus there. Do you realize your spiritual life, sometimes it takes getting right with Jesus, face-to-face with Jesus, looking Jesus and saying, Jesus, what am I supposed to do? And all the worldly noise has to come out. I look like I'm swimming, don't I? All the world, yeah, you need to swim everything else out of your life. Get those things away and focus one-on-one with what Jesus wants to tell you about your life where you get one-to-one with him and you cry out to him and say, Jesus, you know what I'm going through. What does your word say? How should I handle these circumstances? The right voices. Isn't that what the scripture tells us to do? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Focus your eyes upon him. Focus on the right voice. You see... These two blind men that were outside the city that knew Jesus was walking by, that was begging. Had the right voices been present with them that day, they probably would have walked over there and said, you know what, Jesus can do something for you. In fact, rather than telling these two men, shh, be quiet, hush, quit screaming out, you know what the right voice would have done? Let me cry out with you. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on these guys. They need your healing. Do you know there's times where you are going to be called to cry out on behalf of somebody else? That's what the right voice does. I know somebody who is struggling, that is hurting, that is in pain, and I need to cry out for them. There comes that time, and the right voices would have told those two guys, hey, speak up a little bit louder. I think I saw Jesus kind of glance over here. He's ready to intervene. He's ready to do something in your life. Be ready. Be prepared. He's about to do a miracle in your life. Keep listening. Keep waiting for him to do his work. Maybe the reason you've not cried out to Jesus in a long time, you've been listening to the wrong voices. And it's now time to begin to focus on Jesus and see what Jesus has to say in your circumstance. So far, we've seen the reasons we don't cry out. It's because we don't understand the nearness of Jesus. We, don't look, we listen to the voices. A third reason we don't cry out, we don't understand compassion. We don't understand the compassion of Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 32. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. The word compassion, that word compassion in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines compassion as sympathetic consciousness of others' distress. Sympathetic consciousness of others' distress. In other words, seeing somebody who is in distress, seeing someone who is in a stressful situation, seeing someone who is in a difficult situation, somebody that's in a bad situation, but it doesn't stop there. Compassion does more than that. Compassion doesn't just see somebody in distress, in heartache, and pain, and those things. Compassion 
comes along with a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress with a desire to alleviate it. And Jesus is in compassion. If you go through and study the Gospels, you'll see over and over, Jesus had compassion. What is that telling us? Jesus saw the situation that people were in, and he had a desire to alleviate it. He had a desire to do something about it. So notice Jesus' compassion. He's going down the road. He hears these two blind beggars that are hollering out to him, have mercy on us, and he stops and he sees their distress. Now, did you see what Jesus asked these two men? What do you want me to do for you? Why did Jesus ask these two guys, what do you want me to do for you? Well, they hadn't really said, I want you to heal my blindness. Jesus wanted them to cry out and verbalize what it was that they wanted him to do for them. And Jesus does that for them, right? We know that the blind men responded, open our eyes. We want to see. We don't want to be blinders. We don't want to be in the same situation that we were when we woke up this morning. We want you to touch our lives, Jesus. We want you to touch our eyes. We don't want to be the same. We don't want to be out here begging people that are walking by. We want to get on with our lives. We want to have careers. We want to do what you call us to do. We want to follow you and be one of your disciples. It tells us he followed them. They followed him. We want to be one of your disciples. We want to be one of these that follow you because we know that you're the son of David, that you're the Lord. Grant that to us. Open our eyes. Heal us. And that's what Jesus did. Verse 34, so Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. How would you answer Jesus? Jesus is right before you this morning. How would you answer that? What would you have me to do for you? The very thought of that scares us, doesn't it? But if we believe that he's near, and we believe that we can cry out to him, and the right voice says to cry out to him throughout the scripture, cry out, cry out, cry out, and we understand that he is compassionate and that he wants to move in our lives, how is it that that's a hard question to answer? Jesus, standing before you this morning, what would you have me to do for you? That's your prayer. If you have an immediate response to that, that's what you should be crying out daily to the Lord. What would you have me to do for you? For some of you this morning, this is going to be your answer. You're beginning to understand that God created you to have a fellowship with him. But the reason why you can't have a fellowship and a relationship with God is because you've sinned and you fall short of the glory of God. And while we should be forever separated from God forever throughout all of eternity, we should never be able to have a fellowship and relationship with Jesus. God did something. He sent his son Jesus to come to the cross, to die, to be buried, to rise again. That whoever believes him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For some of you this morning, this is what you need to cry out, Lord, save me. 
Lord, I recognize that I am not fulfilling the purpose for which I was created, and that is to have a fellowship and a relationship with you, and you sent your son to die for me. And I want to cry out saying that I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize I need Jesus in my life to be Lord of my life, and I want to have an eternal relationship with the God who created me. For some of you, that's the beginning of your crying out. For others this morning, your cry may be, Lord, I need healing in my marriage. God, I need you to touch my marriage. I need you to do something supernatural in my marriage, whether that's changed my heart or changed my spouse's heart. God, I need you to do something. It may have something to do with your finances. God, you know my finances. How can I live in light of your word and experience what you have? Maybe it's your job. You're struggling. You don't have a job. Maybe you need to just cry out, Lord, you know I need a job. Help me to be faithful. It may be that you need to cry out for someone who's lost and need Jesus in their life. Maybe you recognize somebody is lost and going to spend eternity in hell if they do not come to know Jesus, and your prayer is going to be, I'm going to go and I'm going to cry out for that person in my life because I'm concerned about where they would spend all eternity if they don't know to come, come to know Jesus. Maybe it's a need for peace and joy in your life. What do you need Jesus to do for you today? You see, many of us may be here this morning and we've listened to the wrong voice so long that we think that Jesus is far, far away in a galaxy. He doesn't care about what's happening to us and he's not compassionate. But God's word tells us what? That Jesus is with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. The right voice says, cry out to him. Cry out to him. He is near to all who call upon him. His word says that he is compassionate. He doesn't want to just see you in your circumstance and situation that you are in this morning and leave you in there. He wants to alleviate the distress in your life, the stress in your life. The reality is Jesus is compassionate and wants to move and work in your life. Now, here's the thing that kind of has always amazed me about this passage of Scripture. I know that Matthew said, Behold, there were two blind men. But as we read this story, are we to believe that the only people that had needs that day were the two blind men? Remember, a whole multitude is there. They're going into a city. One of the amazing things about this passage of Scripture is that more people weren't crying out to Jesus, right? He was healing people. He was doing miracles, and yet the crowd was saying, be quiet. So this morning, is there a need in your life that Jesus... Is there a need for you to cry out to Jesus with something happening in your life today? We're going to come to a time of invitation this morning. and Let me share with you what invitation is. Invitation is, serious, is simple. Invitation is this, inviting you to respond to what God is doing in your life. Isn't that simple? Invitation, inviting God, inviting you to, it may be simple to do, but it's hard to say, I guess. I'm really struggling here. Invitation is what? Inviting you to respond to what God is doing in your life. Inviting you to respond to what God is doing in your life. And this morning, our uh, praise team is going to be coming up, and they're going to be singing the song by third day called Cry Out to Jesus. And this morning, you may be in a place where you need to cry out to him. Feel free to grab somebody and come up here to the front and pray this morning. Maybe you just need to sit right where you are and call somebody and say, hey, would you pray with me about this? This is the area of my life where I need to cry out to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand as we respond to what God is doing in our life and heart this morning.
as we go to the Lord in prayer and just give this time to Him. Father, we come to You today. And Lord, I pray that in our lives and in our hearts, Father, that we'd understand that You're a God who desires for us to cry out. You're near this morning. And so, God, I would just pray that if there's someone that needs to cry out to You, that today would be a, a monumental day, that they wouldn't be the same when they leave here as they were when they came, God. We thank You, we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.